This is a test of the emergency podcast system. Activated by contract termination. Rumors of our demise are greatly exaggerated. Welcome to Stacy on the Right with your host, Stacy Washington. She's blessed to be a Bible reading, gun toting, Air Force veteran, wife, and mom. Righteously American. Hey, welcome. Welcome to the program. Hope you had a fantastic weekend and that was restful and that you, maybe you got some stuff done. I did. I got a lot of stuff done. In fact, I was off on Friday, as you all know, and I got a ton of stuff done then too, which enabled me to be with you right now. So um, what I first want to do is uh, obviously happy Monday to you. What are we going to talk about today on the show? Well, we've got a ton of different things going on. Um, We're going to talk about the most politically engaged black voters saying to pollsters that they feel ignored by the Democrats. Um, What do you think the previous CEO um, of Planned Parenthood and the recently fired former CEO are up to? Well, they're mired in escalating uh, conflict and and scandal. That's what. So we'll talk about that. And then Russia. Do you ever think about how they are constantly attacking and trying to breach our data systems for our intelligence agencies. Um, would it surprise you to learn that they had? Well, yeah. And then, of course, right now, I want to launch into, um, there was this really fun training event last Thursday night. So after I got done with the show here on Thursday, I trundled over to a law firm that was hosting an event by Show Me Trump, where Scott Pressler Fantastic guy, young guy. Um, he's famous for basically his Twitter account is 300,000 followers on there, um, which God bless him for beating that algorithm, right? And then he also does voter training. He was in town to speak at Eagle Forum. And while he was here, he gave a get out the vote kind of training session. And so I showed up to kind of MC and introduce him. And we had a lot of fun. Um, there's a video on Facebook that you can check out and see what we were up to. And then, um, yeah, so it was a fun evening. Um, I think one of the things that was most interesting about it is that he, he comes from being a Democrat. I mean, like recent Democrat. And since then, he's gone on to lead efforts to clean up the, uh, the streets of Baltimore. He's actually been twice to do that. And he's also taken some time out to, um, basically just put his money where his mouth is. And so as activists go, I have a lot of respect for that. Um, one of our Project 21 members um, actually showed up and met with him while they were doing that, the cleanup in Baltimore, because she lives outside of D.C. Uh, Marie, she's a she's a part of Project 21. And she was there with them um, cleaning up the streets of Baltimore. So that's the way that it gets done. That's the way it works. So um, and then uh, before we launch into other topics I got to say, if you're not following this story about Kavanaugh, Justice Kavanaugh, it is fascinating to watch the, I guess the, the, I always say mainstream media or media, um, you know, the different names we have for the people who report on news. It's kind of amazing to me that they would take an unsourced story supported by another unsourced story that another news organization had passed on. And that they would run with it only to have to retract later. Uh, and so that's that's what's happened. So if you've seen that going on, I, I actually didn't delve too far into the allegation because I don't believe that Judge Kavanaugh is a rapist or um, any kind of, I don't believe he does any of that stuff, that he has done any of that stuff. And the reason is because if, if they had anything that was actionable proof-wise, we would be looking at it. We would see it. We would know it. It would be, we'd have facts, okay? We'd have facts surrounding that. We don't. And so I I think it's important for us to kind of stay the course. And the president tweeted out about uh, Kavanaugh that he should start suing. What they want to do is they want to bully him into voting like a Democrat. And who knows what they did to the previous conservative justices who ended up voting like Democrats the entire time they were on the bench. We just know that the Democrats got what they wanted at that point and that that it looks like that's what they're trying to do now. So the goal here shouldn't be to try to figure out, well, did Judge Cap? No, he didn't. No. 
So we know he didn't do anything. The question is, why do they feel like this bully tactic is going to work? Why do they think this is going to happen? Now, I know, again, the left is relentless. They're never going to stop. They're never going to stop attacking this man. But we have to remember um, that the truth will win out eventually. Um, it's not it's not always the speediest thing, but it will win out. And the best thing for us to do is stay the course. That, that's In fact, that's all we can do. Um, so I wanted to say hello to people who are in the chat room today. We have Bjorn and Chow and the all cap Stacy is me. Um, and I just want to say hi to everybody. And then hello to people who are uh, our Patreon subscribers and then people who give to us on PayPal. Thank you so much for being there. Um, I am managing the extra project that I'm working on, the main project, on a day-by-day basis. And I'm hoping that um, still being able to do the show every day is going to be what we can do. But I, I know I said on Thursday, I was like, I'm taking a hiatus. And I took Friday off and I got a lot done on that project. I have to complete it. Um, and I'm on a deadline now to get it done. I can't I can't wait any longer. Um, so I'll have more on that. I'm actually going to have some, some cool things on that. And of course, we still have our announcement incoming. Um, so let's get to this Planned Parenthood and fired former chief. They're mired in an escalating dispute. So we're talking about Leanna Wynn, who was fired from Planned Parenthood after less than a year on the job and how she's been fighting with the group over the terms of her departure and the direction of Planned Parenthood. So unfortunately for her, she'd had a miscarriage and um, was really, you know, she's in the, one of the toughest places a woman can be in. And then she just happens to be working for an organization that kills babies. So, of course, she doesn't see the difference there. And that's often the case with women who work for Planned Parenthood. They don't see how that connects up with them actually having babies themselves, having children themselves. They don't see it. They're blinded to it. That's a part of the uh, deception that goes on when you start working for an organization like that or if you buy into the lies of the quote-unquote pro-choice left. So she was, of course, recently fired, and she is now looking like she's going to actually have a, a increasingly contentious exit because the exit isn't over. She's accused them, the leadership of Planned Parenthood, of trying to buy her silence, and she says it threatens to prolong and magnify an acrimonious transition at the top of the nation's best-known women's health care and reproductive rights group. Now, she's been engaged in two months of negotiations over her severance package since she was fired in July. Now, this is interesting because a lot of times we we take for granted that when someone is at that level, she was heading the entire organization. So it's not a matter of them saying you're fired and then her walking out with a small box of items. This is a case of her literally saying, "Um, I'm obviously you want me to leave. And so this is what you're going to give me. And then her attorneys and their attorneys go back and forth and they have meetings and they negotiate and they stonewall each other a little bit. And, you know, it's it's a it's kind of a free for all, but it's very controlled. So she has also accused them of withholding her health insurance, which is important because I believe she's expecting um, they've withheld her departure payout as ransom because they want her to sign a confidentiality agreement because as CEO of the company, even for less than a year, I'm sure she's got some really juicy details she's privy to that right-leaning news organizations would be so happy to get their hands on. Now, she sent off a very sharply worded 1,400-word letter, and she sent it to the Planned Parenthood Board of Directors last week. Now, the New York Times, of course, was able to obtain a copy because that, you know, how else could we know this story and have anything juicy to talk about without somebody getting their hands on the letter? And in there, one of the quotes from her is, no amount of money can ever buy my integrity and my commitment to the patients I serve. So because the New York Times has this or this uh, this letter from her, it's kind of like now a public airing of the grievances, right? <laughs> Remember that from Seinfeld? <laughs> the airing of grievances. The time has come. So the organization itself and the abortion services have come under assault by the Trump administration and Republican-controlled Congress. And uh, Planned Parenthood, of course, is saying, you're wrong. We don't, we don't want to buy your silence at all. 
Melanie Newman is an SVP for communications at Planned Parenthood and said that Dr. Wynn's recent allegations are unfortunate, saddening, and simply untrue. The attorneys representing the board have made every good faith effort to amicably depart from Dr. Wynn and are disappointed that they have been unable to reach a suitable resolution regarding her exit package. Now, Newman notes that Dr. Wynn has remained on payroll during the negotiations, that she is salaried through the month of October, the, the mid, mid-October, um, she has health benefits through the end of that month under COBRA, and that Planned Parenthood offered Dr. Wynn a full additional year of salary and health benefits under terms that are standard and consistent with her employment agreement and any reasonable executive exit package. So can I decode that for you? They're letting her go. She gets paid till mid-October, and that's like just regular manager type stuff, 90 days, you know, that's pretty standard. Um, the Cobra thing is law, so there, there's there's not really a big deal on that. They could have terminated her health insurance per the day of her departure, but most businesses are aware of how that looks when someone's pregnant, so they're leaving it until mid-October. After that, she can use Cobra for gap insurance until she has a new place of employment. But bigger than all of this, because we know she was making, you know, somewhere upwards of a million a year, this woman is not really worried about health insurance or being paid to the middle of October. What she is concerned with is that she gets something commensurate with what she feels like she would have earned during the time of her tenure had she been permitted to stay on for the entirety of the year and forward from there because her expectation was that she was going to serve as long or or longer as Cecile Richards. And please don't mistake any of this as me sympathizing with her. I don't. But it's interesting that these supposedly pro-women organizations, they have this big public separation from her. And instead of just saying, look, you know, pro-woman organization, we have to treat you as well as we possibly can. It's just as cutthroat as if it was a bunch of men. You see that? So it's not really about leftist organizations or organizations that say they're all about women being pro-woman. It's about them being pro the causes that they support, whether those causes are actually beneficial for women or not, and being against men in general, but specifically any man who opposes them on these policy positions. And then further than that, if you want to be a part of their movement and suddenly you're no longer useful, you darn well better keep quiet about it. That's the real point here. They're holding out on the other things that she wants because they want her silence. They don't want her going out, speaking out against what they have put out into the the, the, the ether as reality. Whatever they've said before, they want it to stand and they want her to help it stand. They expect her compliance and complicity moving forward in perpetuity, whether or not she agrees with what they were doing, which clearly they had some major disagreement that was unresolvable they could not come to a meeting of the minds and that's why she left was forced out you know hey I guess that language is super important as someone who was recently let go I guess I better be really careful with being specific anyway um so a full additional year of salary and health benefits if she signs a confidentiality agreement meaning she's basically gagged no conversation regarding Planned Parenthood. It's almost as if she never worked there. So it's classic. Um, it's familiar. Non-disclosure agreements are standard. Most organizations require you to sign one when you come on. They want an additional ironclad one with no air or breathing room or holes or you know pinpricks in it after that. Like they're they're looking for um, they want you on the, the front end and then they want an additional one on the back end, and those two bookends make them fireproof and they make you completely vulnerable should you open your mouth. Now, Dr. Wynn actually issued a statement on Saturday saying there should be no dispute regarding the terms of my employment contract, which are clearly spelled out, which of course, as an executive, they always have an exit uh, package. It's delineated in the beginning. So the executive says to the person that's hiring them, oh, you want to start an employment relationship? Awesome. You're offering me this salary and benefits, but should we ever decide to part ways, whether it's me or you, this is what I expect you to give me. And usually it's a pretty good, like it's a year's salary or two years salary. It depends on what the organization is, what you're coming in, you know, to fix quote unquote, or what kind of atmosphere they're, they're seeking you to come in. If you're hotly in demand, 
You can even demand more than that. Maybe that your stock options be considered vested upon the day of your employment and that they're paid out immediately. Whatever. It's it's always something that's beneficial to the employee and the employer agrees to it to get the person to come on. So it's interesting that she says um, a Monday deadline had been set for Dr. Wynn and Planned Parenthood to strike an accord. So, all right, I hear the music. We'll be back right after this. Listen, as a hiring manager, I've got to tell you, the best job candidate isn't always the typical candidate. Sometimes they're a grad of life. Meet the grads of life, young adults of unique determination and experience, an ideal fit for your company in an entry-level position, internship, or mentorship. They might not have every qualification you typically look for, but they're exactly who your company needs. Sometimes the best candidates aren't the ones you're used to. Go to gradsoflife.org to learn how to find, cultivate, and train this great pool of untapped talent. Brought to you by the Ad Council and gradsoflife.org. This is the story of a very special woman. Just a few knew about her superpowers. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her Mom. Your hero needs you now. And AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources at aarp.org caregiving. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Why was the basketball court all wet? Because the players kept dribbling on it. The dad joke. <laughs> Corny, groan-worthy, but also one of the simplest ways to share a moment with your kids. What did the buffalo say when he dropped his son off for school? Bye, son. So take a moment to make your kid laugh, because dad jokes rule. Make your kid laugh today. Go to fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. If you love them enough to listen to them practice the same song on tuba. Please be done. Over and over and over and over and over. Then surely you'll check NHTSA.gov slash the right seat to make sure they're correctly buckled in the back seat. Sounds good, honey. Check today at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Act Council. Hope you enjoyed your meal. And I just want to say, he's lucky to have a brother like you. Lucky? Caring for my brother is far from easy. But he's a part of me, like my arms and legs, so I'll be his. No time for tired. Nothing can disable this love. He needs me, but I'm the lucky one, even though I need help now and then. If you're caring for a loved one, visit aarp.org caregiving for care guides and community. Support for your strength. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Man, I love my kids so much. I once sat for three hours in the cold rain to watch her soccer team lose by 18 goals. I love my kids so much, I once used a tube to suck snot out of her stuffed nose at 3 a.m. You win. Love your kids? Love them enough to make sure they're in the right car seat. From toddlers to tweens, visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat to find the right seat for their age and size. Keep them safe. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Spacey on the Right. Hey everybody, welcome back to the program. Notice if you're watching the live stream, I have a cool elephant on my red shirt and it's the word Trump, the word Trump is in the shape of the elephant. And I got this shirt uh, from Show Me Trump run by Diane Neff and Annette Reed at their event last Thursday night. And so I'm totally wearing it today. And um, am I going to wear it out to pick Madison up from school and then go to, you know, do stuff this afternoon? Only time will tell. <laughs> if I decide to wear it, I'll take a picture and put it on Instagram. Uh, welcome back. So I want to give you just a few more details. We were talking about the story about uh, Leanna Wen, Dr. Wen, who has been terminated from Planned Parenthood. And, and I want to give you the background on this. In case you missed us talking about this before, um, the board of Planned Parenthood actually fired her. She's 36 years old. In July, after sharp disagreements over what Planned Parenthood people described as her abrasive and flawed management style. 
Now, Dr. Wynn blamed her sacking on disagreements over her reorienting the organization further from abortion politics and more towards its role as a women's health care provider. In her letter, she believed that de-emphasizing abortion care is the best way to protect it. However, she went on, there's a vocal minority, including many national staff and board members who prefer a stridently political abortion first philosophy. Now, I can tell you. If Planned Parenthood were to take a few steps back and stop with the political advocacy, they would remove the huge blinking target that they are from people like myself, from organizations on the right, the Christian organizations, faith-based organizations, and secular organizations that strictly oppose Planned Parenthood because of its taxpayer funding. Would it completely end the war? No. No, it wouldn't. But it would, as she says, make it more safe. And it's interesting that that's the case here because she's basically saying, let me help protect Planned Parenthood so that it's not defunded and the way it exists now, you know, ceases to be a a mechanism for funding the organization. But I think there's something she doesn't understand, and that is that Planned Parenthood only exists to perform abortions. All of this other women's health care nonsense is just a ploy, a cover, uh, um, you know, it's it's a mask. But underneath the mask, it's just abortion. That's all it is. Uh, so she said, I have no desire to harm the organization, but her comments back in July were actually seized upon by people like me to uh, kind of seek political advantage according to this article and this article is over at the New York Times so remember this is written by someone who's pro-abortion and anti-pro-life or anti-life so um, you know if you keep the language here in mind much of her September 9th letter focused on more personal matters she accused two board chairs of preventing her from addressing the full board she wrote that she had declined to sign a permanent gag upon her voice when she was fired in July despite extraordinary pressure and substantial financial incentives Before her July termination, Dr. Wynn and the board had been involved in weeks of intense negotiations, and she suffered a miscarriage. She wrote about her experience having a miscarriage in the Washington Post. She wrote an op-ed for them, but she didn't tell Planned Parenthood's leadership about the fact that she was going to write the op-ed. So she's actually left open the possibility of legal action between herself and Planned Parenthood. She says she has no desire to file claims against them for defamation, retaliation, or discrimination. She also said that Planned Parenthood was demanding her silence in exchange for her contractually guaranteed severance and continued health insurance coverage, calling the efforts unjust and unethical. Now, it's funny that she should use the terms unjust and unethical when discussing Planned Parenthood because she sounds a lot like the rest of us, doesn't she? She also invoked the recent Trump administration rules to accuse Planned Parenthood's board of hypocrisy. She said, it's deeply hypocritical that Planned Parenthood would attempt to enforce a gag order on its immediate past president and CEO while fighting the Trump administration's gag rule on Title X providers. She said that they had, in fact, proposed language to reasonably meet Wen's concerns about the scope of the confidentiality clause. This is Miss Newman now, the Planned Parenthood rep. She said they expected to re- reach a resolution, finalize the package in coming days, and that their work is more necessary than ever. They're more committed to it than ever, yada, yada, yada. Now, Dr. Wen has already moved on. She has a new position as a visiting professor at George Washington University, and she's pregnant. She's due in March. So... Obviously, I wish her the best with her new baby. She already has a son, so this would be the second child for them. Having a miscarriage is a devastating experience, and for her to be able to kind of bounce back and and in amongst all this turmoil, it's it's a good thing. Um, I would never wish ill on her or her child, but I do wish that she would be um, enlightened as to the organization that she was working for and that she would change her orientation. But, you know, what might help with that is if she became a Christian, if she came to know Jesus Christ, she would have a much different perspective on whether or not people, unborn people, should have the right to live as opposed to being simply a whim of whether or not their parents used contraception or not. or And that dads should have a role in whether or not a child is born as well because they helped make the baby and the baby is both of the parents, not just the mom. Ah, but what am I saying? There's got to be somebody out there who just literally 
lost their mind because they heard me say that. Um, so now let's, let's jump into this new survey of black voters. So this is the black census project and they surveyed 30,000 black voters and found that black communities feel ignored by Democrats. Now, are you surprised by this? Hmm. I certainly am surprised by this. Um, black voters are expected to play a crucial role in the upcoming 2020 election cycle. And this is a new survey of more than 30,000 black Americans, which found that a large number of them don't believe politicians care about them or their needs. And while political candidates certainly spend time talking at black voters, they're not putting the same effort in talking to them. Now, caveat on this one, the write up on this is at Vox.com, a lefty organization, but the call out is intended to make some things, uh, you know, like, hey, you know, blinking red light over here, emergency, black voters who you need to win elections actually don't think you're going to do anything for them. That could propel lower turnout, right? So the Black Census Project actually aims to map out what black life in America looks like by highlighting the nuances and distinctions among black Americans. Unlike other surveys of black voters, the Black Census Project focuses on black communities that are left out of mainstream polling, including younger people, immigrants, LGBTQ people, people who are currently or formerly incarcerated. So they're basically saying we want everybody, not just people who are frequent voters. Okay. So the first set of survey results released on Tuesday revealed that black Americans remain very politically engaged and are deeply concerned about economic issues like low wages, lack of affordable health care, rising college costs, as well as criminal justice issues like police accountability, gun violence, reenfranchising people who have had felony convictions. But even with this high level of political participation, a majority of black respondents said they don't feel like politicians and political parties care about them. And those involved in putting the black census project together say that feeling is enforced by reinforced by the fact that when candidates try to engage black communities, they often focus on symbolic gestures as opposed to meaningful interactions. So the black census project shows that the black electorate want policies that improve lives, not pandering photo ops at black institutions. Oh man. So how did they get this information? Well, They did a mix of online surveys, they canvassed people in person, and they included responses from nearly every every state. So um, the people at the Black Census Project actually said their survey was really focused on capturing the breadth and complexity of what black communities are in this country. And um, Garza, who is interviewed for this piece, is also known uh, for her role as co-founder of Black Lives Matter Network. So there's a lot of complexity in the findings and some of the findings challenge long held assumptions about black voters, namely that respondents reported higher levels of political engagement than the black population as a whole. Nearly 86% of the respondents were registered to vote in 2018. 74% said they voted in the 2016 election. A third of the respondents were civically engaged beyond voting through activities like voter registration drives, giving people rides to the polls, and donating to political candidates. So they found some very, very, very tip-of-the-spear type folks to take this survey. So only 16% of black census respondents reported not voting in 2016 and having no other involvement in electoral engagement activities. Wow. So could this be a little bit of that whole... You're talking to the survey person. They ask you a question and you don't want to embarrass yourself by admitting that you didn't vote last time. So you say you did anyway. I wonder what role that plays in this. 60% of the respondents identified as Democrats. 2% identified as Republicans. The rest identified with other parties or as independents. But nearly a fifth of respondents said they view the Democratic Party unfavorably. 52% of respondents, more than 16,000 people, said that politicians do not care about blacks or their interests. And 35% said that politicians care about black people just a little bit. Oh, that is some dissatisfaction right there. These results strongly suggest that Democratic candidates shouldn't expect black voters to be motivated to turn out in above average numbers without putting in the work to engage them. And and so I guess my question is, engage in what way? 
What do they mean exactly by engage? People are tired of talk, right? If you live in an area that has not yet been impacted in a major way by the Trump administration policies, you're seeing other communities and other people, maybe even your coworkers, experiencing, you know, economic prosperity. And you're wondering where yours is. You're living in an area that's controlled by Democrats. So obviously your results are going to be depressed. You're not connecting that up. And Democrats certainly aren't going to tell you, well, if you keep voting for me, you're going to keep having these garbage results. But it's just funny to me that they had a survey and nobody sat back after the survey and thought, one thing I could do is stop voting for these people. So support for a government role in solving economic problems. In that segment of the survey, they said government should provide adequate housing for people who lack it. 87% of these black people said that. Only 5% said no. Government should provide affordable and quality health care for all Americans. 90% of the respondents said yes. Only 3% said no. Government should address the gap between the rich and the poor. 86% said they should. 6% said they should not. They also expressed support for certain policy solutions outlined in the survey. An overwhelming 90% said the government should do the health care, actually provide it. And the survey said that 76% favored increasing taxes on people making more than 250,000 or more a year. Like that is a king's ransom in America. It's not. It's kind of unbelievable that these people are that limited. They had a lot to say about the criminal justice system. Um, They had a lot to say about 55% of respondents said they'd had a negative interaction with police. 28% of the respondents said they'd had one in the past six months. Younger respondents were more likely to say they'd had a negative interaction recently at 38%. But a third of the respondents overall said their first negative interaction with police came before their 18th birthday. Wow. So it's, it's none of this stuff is new. Um, and there are other recent surveys showing that black voters are particularly concerned about jobs, the economy and police accountability. This is the, none of these things are like groundbreaking uh, other than the fact that they're finally these survey respondents connecting their dissatisfaction to the Democrats. Um, and so you have to kind of wonder, is that a function of president Trump being in office? Um, is that, does that have anything to do with people kind of saying to themselves, look, I'm, I'm, I'm tired of this. Um, Democrats aren't doing what they're supposed to do. Or maybe, maybe they're saying to themselves um, that, that it has, that, that, Democrats have actually um, done some things, but they haven't done anything recently. I, I just, what I'm interested in is for more people, regardless of their political party, to connect their voting with the politician and then the results or lack of results afterwards. That's what I'm looking for. Um, and hopefully this is the beginning of that. So I wanted to turn over to... Um, this data breach and and this is the kind of stuff that's embarrassing but it turns out that Russia carried out a stunning breach of FBI communication system and they did it on American soil so back in December December 29th of 2016 in fact the Obama administration announced that it was giving nearly three dozen Russian diplomats just 72 hours to leave the United States and they were seizing two rural east coast estates owned by the Russian government as the Russians burned papers and scrambled to pack their bags, the Kremlin protested its treatment, the treatment of their de- uh, diplomats, and denied that the compound, sometimes known as the DACAs, were anything more than vacation spots for their personnel. So the Obama administration's public rationale for the expulsions and closures, the harshest U.S. diplomatic reprisals taken against Russia in several decades, they basically said they were retaliating for Russian meddling in the 2016 presidential election. So remember, the election happens in November. Obama's, you know, he's got short, short itis, short timer itis. He's, he's, he knows he's on his way out. And one of the last things he does as president is to shut down their compounds and boot them out of the country, these diplomats. But there was another critical and secret reason why those locations and diplomats were actually targeted. Both compounds and at least some of the expelled diplomats played key roles 
in a brazen Russian counterintelligence operation that stretched from the Bay Area to the heart of the nation's capital. The operation targeted FBI communications and hampered the Bureau's ability to track Russian spies on U.S. soil at a time of increasing tension with Moscow. Their activities actually forced the FBI and CIA to cease contact with some of their Russian assets and prompted tighter security procedures at U.S. national security facilities in Washington and elsewhere. Wow. All right, we'll be right back. Stay there. Okay, man, this is your time. Maybe you didn't choose this, but you're here now. You're going to go out there and be an all-star caregiver. Cook, clean, be there emotionally and physically. you got to dig deeper. Drive them to physical therapy, doctor's appointments, because that's what caregivers do. Don't give up. Show the world that you're tougher than tough. Caregiving is tougher than tough. Find the care guides you need at aarp.org slash caregiving. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm your host, Smokey Cole Bear. Filling in for Smokey, because after 75 years of... Only you can prevent wildfires. Turns out there's much more to say. Nearly 90% of wildfires are caused by us humans being careless. Dumping our used barbecue coals willy-nilly. Guess the song was wrong. We did start the fire. That's why I respect Mother Nature and her trees, whether coniferous or new car scented. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Okay, forest animals, kids are coming to the forest, and it's up to us to make their visit a good one. Sparrow, have you practiced the most popular bird songs for the year? Of course. Catchy. I like it. River, how's the temperature? It's a refreshing 52 degrees, man. I love it. Uh, Turtle. He's not here yet, man. Uh, He's late every morning. Okay. Squirrel. The forest has been preparing just for you. To learn more about cool things to do in the forest, visit discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. It's important for you to talk to someone about it. I felt so much better after my son told me, Mom, we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash stories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. The average time a resume spends on an HR manager's desk is seven seconds, and most of them are tossed aside. Now imagine if one of those resumes belonged to Yasmin, who was... Living in a shelter, juggling three jobs. I had to be resilient. That's something that you can't teach. We rely so much on a resume, yet it could never tell the full story of someone who... Had to be independent and take initiative. And that's how I handle every project I get. Discover new ways to develop great talent at gradsoflife.org. Brought to you by Grads of Life and the Ad Council. When is the best time to talk to your family about staying in touch during a disaster? When floodwaters reach your door? When wildfires are engulfing the edge of your neighborhood? Or an earthquake is destroying buildings? Or is the best time, perhaps, today? During a disaster, you may not be able to stay in touch with your family or friends as easily as you think. Go to ready.gov communicate and make your emergency plan today. Don't wait. Communicate. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right. Everybody, welcome back to the program. Don't forget to subscribe at um, Instagram at Stacy on the Right, and same thing on Twitter. Um, so you might have seen that Senator Elizabeth Warren, and this was actually over the weekend. She says that Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh should be impeached on Sunday following newly reported allegations of sexual misconduct against him, which have now been retracted by the New York Times. And so I'm wondering if she's going to retract her statement. Is she going to retract it? So, uh, kind of unbelievable. Um, she actually did well poll-wise. She gained a little bit of, of traction last week after the debate. Um, she's 
also been doing some pretty large crowd sizes, but it's not, not that surprising when you look at everyone who's running, people are going to coalesce around someone. Um, the Democrats are certainly not going to vote for President Trump. So they're going to coalesce around someone. And it looks like it's her, um, just because she's the least crazy out of the front runners and has the most viability. But the question is, because we know Joe Biden is not going to be VP again. He's not going to run as a VP. He wants to run for the presidency, but he also doesn't look well. Um, and again, I just reiterate for people who listen to the show who don't agree with my stances or what have you. I don't wish any ill on anybody. I just think he's, he should be resting. He's in his late seventies and he should be resting. Um, he shouldn't be running for the presidency. It's ill advised and his health seems to be suffering because of it. But that's what unabashed power seeking will do to you. It will make you tired. It will ruin your life. And, and, you know, so we'll see what happens with him. But Warren is certainly, uh, surging. Now, Governor Andrew Cuomo of New York has actually announced on Sunday that he would pursue emergency regulations this week to quickly ban the sale of flavored e-cigarettes, and that's because there's been a surge in vaping-related illnesses and deaths. His action comes days after President Trump announced a similar effort. Um, New York could possibly ban flavored e-cigarettes, becoming the second state to do so following Michigan, which they banned it earlier in the month. So... uh, it's pretty interesting. Um, I want to see them do some things that would make the vaping less dangerous, but it's really the additives that people are buying off the streets that are making this a dangerous undertaking. It's only when you add in the THC products with the marijuana in them um, that are kind of mixed together by any, you know, Tom, Dick or Harry on the street that you start to see these re- reactions and these results. Um, so, also an item about Ted Cruz. And then I want to get to, um, we discussed the poll. Let me see here. So make sure I've got everything for you. Um, we discussed Russia. Um, and so we're going to get just one second. Um, this transgender woman getting fired. So first, Ted Cruz was talking about um, some of the debate stuff and jobs and all that stuff. And he was on ABC's Sunday talk show. And he he said, if you look at Thursday night, the entire night of the debate, not a single Democrat talked about jobs, not a single Democrat talked about the economy, about the fact that we've got the lowest African-American unemployment ever recorded, lowest Hispanic unemployment ever recorded. Instead, what the Democrats told the American people is that they want to raise your taxes. They want to triple the price that you pay for a gallon of gas at the pump. They want to open the borders. They want to take away your health insurance and they want to take away your guns. Cruz also said Donald Trump has broken the Democratic Party. They are now defined just by hating him. They ought to be the party of jobs. They used to be a party that was focused on jobs, but they're not anymore. I think it's kind of hard for them to be uh, in a position where they have to face up to a man who is so unabashedly pro-American and their default position is that they're anti-America. They'll never leave. They'll never take up residence in another country. But while they're here, they have to complain and tear it down. And I I liken it to, and I've known people like this where, They're just unhappy. They're unhappy. So even when things are going well, they find something that they can complain about. You know, their elbow itches. The back of their eyeballs uh, feel scratchy. You know, their throat has a tickle in it. Even if everything is perfect and you've just handed them a check for, you know, whatever amount that is that they need, or they've just received good news, they find a way to not the silver lining, which is where you have something that's kind of, you know, not so great, but you find a silver lining in it. It's the opposite. They find you know, the the little trash can uh, full of rotted whatever in any situation. They There is no place where they can be where they're just like, wow, this is great, period. And that's how the Democrats have become. Um, and it just, it means that no matter what the president does, no matter how successful he is on the economy, on getting jobs for every group, every constituency group of Americans, regardless of their political affiliation, no matter how many of his promises he fulfills, like the space com and uh, the lowering of the business tax and the deregulation and the conservative judges, no matter what it is that he does, they're always going to say, well, he's still a racist and we still hate him. You know, he's still not doing this, this and that. So, you know, that's not a successful platform to run on, but I do still see a lot of people uh, you know, in the never Trump sector saying that the president is still going to lose reelection because the poll numbers don't look good for him. And never mind the fact that the last time the poll numbers said 98% chance he's going to lose, 
people are still touting those as if they actually have meaning. So two more things before we get to the end of the show here. Um, a majority of Hispanics support ending welfare-dependent immigration. I'll say it one more time. A poll has shown that a majority of Hispanics support ending welfare-dependent immigration. They want to support President Trump's efforts to prevent welfare-dependent legal immigrants from permanently resettling in the United States. Now, before I even get into this, can I just say why? Because I, as a black person, I, I totally understand the impetus here. Do you want people moving into America who are going to make it harder for you to be accepted because they look like you? Because that that's the unfortunate nature of who we are and what we are as human beings. We judge other people that we just recently encounter by what we know about other people who look like them. So even though it makes no sense to say that, you know, most black women dot, 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 that's what ends up happening. So Hispanics don't want welfare-dependent, lawful immigrants coming here, making them look bad, especially when they're hardworking, business-opening, business-owning, you know, entrepreneurs, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm talking about the legal immigrants. The legal immigrants. Even though even legal immigrants, if they're of Hispanic background, they have a higher rate of using the welfare system. So they don't want to increase that number. They, they know what's up. It's not like people aren't aware that this is the truth. So remember we talked about in August, the Trump administration publishing a regulation that ensures that people who come here legally would be admitted legally, provided they're less likely to need, you know, welfare. So if they're looking for permanent residency, they have to be able to show that they're not going to be a public charge. This is like a no brainer, but it was a huge problem for a lot of people. And we're talking about any kind of welfare. If they've used it in the past, they're going to be barred from trying to seek permanent residency. Subsidized health care services, food stamps, public housing, you name it. Because we shouldn't be bringing people here from other countries that are going to go right onto welfare. We just shouldn't be doing that. So this latest Harvard-Harris poll finds Hispanic Americans by a majority of 56% support denying permanent residency to immigrants who are known to have used welfare or are likely to use it in the future. Likewise, 65% of Hispanic Americans said illegal aliens should not be allowed to draw from taxpayer-funded welfare programs. 71% of black Americans said that. I wonder if the Black Census Project is aware of these numbers and if they would be interested in asking something about welfare in their poll of black Americans having to do with political engagement. Do you see how they, they missed that? It's such a huge dropped ball for them not to talk about the impact that people coming into this country illegally or legally and those same people using welfare, the impact that has on black Americans and whether or not black Americans want it. And if they're talking about politics, how could they not ask a question like this? But we know why, because their intention is to motivate Democratic politicians to do a better job with blacks so they can have higher turnout so they can win. Their intention is not to actually substantially improve the lives of black Americans. Even the black census project is rigged against black Americans. (laughs) I mean, you just can't make this stuff up. Overall, six in 10 American voters support preventing welfare dependent legal immigrants from permanently resettling in the U.S. So basically, if you get welfare while you're here, Americans want you to giddy up on out of here. And so do Hispanics and so do blacks who, by the way, those are also Americans too. So this is not a white thing. It's not racial. It's not xenophobia. It's simply you're here with your hand now and your other hand is in my pocket or my purse. And we want you to just get back to your home country and get some welfare from over there. Cause it's surely you can get you some welfare in that country. And if you can't, sounds like a personal problem. Am I right? So. of swing voters, 77% of Republicans, 60% of moderate voters, and 64% of white Americans all believe that if you are welfare dependent or plan to be, you shouldn't permanently resettle here. Eight in 10 American voters, including 80% of swing voters, said illegal aliens should not be allowed to use taxpayer-funded welfare benefits like free housing, food stamps, disability checks, and subsidized health care. Even among Democrats and libs, Allowing illegal aliens to draw from public social programs is hugely unpopular. 
say it again, hugely unpopular. Even liberals pay taxes, balance budgets, and don't like to see people freeloading off of them. Seven in 10 Democratic voters said they opposed illegal aliens taking taxpayer-funded welfare programs. Six in 10 liberal voters said the same. The National Academies of Science released a report two years ago noting that state and local American taxpayers are billed about $1,600 each year per immigrant to pay for their welfare. Immigrant households consume 33% more cash welfare than American citizen households. So if you think about what that means in terms of what you can do, if you're just supporting one illegal alien, it's $1,600 extra a year that you're paying in tax. Now think about what you would do with that money if you had it back for yourself. Forget vacations. Forget, forget the niceties. $1,600. For a lot of Americans, that's, their, that's more than their entire electric bill for the year or their gas bill. I mean, what $1,600 a year can pay for a lot of different things that you want to do in your household as opposed to paying for some other person who shouldn't be in the country anyway for them to have welfare at your expense. And I guarantee you, if, if this was the kind of information from this article over at Breitbart, if this information was shared on the nightly news on a regular basis, we would see people who are renting to illegal aliens would boot them out. They'd say, nope, I'm, I can't be involved in this anymore. People who were hiring them would say, well, you know, I thought I was helping, but it looks like I'm just helping you. Um, you got to go. I'm hurting myself and everyone else who lives here lawfully. I'm not going to hire. I'm not hiring you anymore. No, there would be a complete groundswell of change against this. If Americans, first of all, didn't think they were the only ones who felt this way. And second of all, they understood the cost associated with it. This is costing us money and it's not fair. So one more thing. NBC News is reporting that a transgender woman was fired from her job in Nebraska coffee shop after telling a conservative activist that she wasn't welcome at the establishment. Finally, can you believe this? So the conservative activist was with the Nebraska Family Alliance, which is a pro-family lobbying group. Uh, that campaigns against LGBTQ, XYZ, whatever. And she said, so Natalie Weiss says she was working at Cultiva Espresso and Crepes in Lincoln on Wednesday. She spotted a familiar woman eating a crepe, Marilyn Sinek. Sinek is a communication specialist at the Nebraska Family Alliance. And she basically has been working to disband, ban discrimination ordinances um, that have to do with LGBTQ. And so, you know, she's a regular there. She shops there. She she drinks coffee and all that stuff. The majority of the staff there identifies as LGBTQ. Um, so she said she'd been dealing with her frustration about some ordinance they were trying to pass. And she saw her sitting there and she just got mad. And she said, uh, I thought I recognized you. Called her name out. She said, you should get the F out and never come back. So... She called her bigoted trash, said she wasn't wanted, and then she was fired. So try to be nice when you're at work. All right. God bless. Have a great night.